0: You're listening to the Finishing Strong podcast, a lifestyle podcast for men who want to thrive in the third quarter season of their life, but need a sustainable plan. I'm your host, Steve Poniotu and my life has been dramatically changed and influenced by some of the most knowledgeable and thoughtful people in their respective fields. I want to share these ideas and people with you, and perhaps they can do the same for you. Growing old doesn't have to suck. Join me as I'm Finishing Strong. Today we have a guest that's really special to me. Um, He doesn't know it yet, but uh, his name is Jason Romano. And he has got a job that a lot of sports people would like, or some sports people would like. And that is speaking to people in the sports industry about something that is passionate to him. And it's really passionate to me. And that's um, melding two things that we love, sports and our faith together. And it, it's been a dream of mine to do that. So, Jason, uh, I'm coming for your job. How's that?
1: <laughs> Listen, I hope someday, Steve, there's people, there's all sorts of people doing the job that I'm doing. But come on after it, my friend. We need more people to do stuff like this. So for sure.
0: Yes. Um, uh, Jason Romano, you have a a, a really neat background um, and I'd like to, you to to tell us about it rather than me try and give a bio about you. Um, we'd like to talk about um, how you came to where you are now with the Sports Spectrum, but also something really uh, close to your heart is your book. And that's a, a book about your life and growing up and we'll get into that as well. Cause that's really important to me and to the, to the audience. Cause I am passionate about men in their fifties or what I call the third quarter season of their life yeah. to, 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 to wake up men that are on the couch and feel helpless about um, their life or um, and I'm passionate about nutrition as well and fitness. And and so um, I'm uh, into fitness and, and nutrition and sports and faith. So I'd add that one caveat in there with nutrition and, and fitness as well to yeah. what you do. And so uh, without further ado, uh, Mr. Jason Romano, tell us about um, your life growing up how you, how you came to, to, to where you are.
1: Yeah. So I, I grew up in upstate New York, Albany, New York, capital of New York state, a uh, little town about 10, 20 miles South of Albany called Ravina, R-A-V-E-N-A. And it's the town I grew up in with the high school there and, uh, always dreamed about working in sports Uh, sports was my God in many ways as a kid, loved baseball, loved playing baseball, loved football, loved watching the Dallas Cowboys, loved basketball, loved playing basketball and Larry Bird and Daryl Strawberry are my sports heroes. And so growing up watching, uh, sports and always wanting to have uh, something to do with sports, it really took on a livelihood of its own for me. And when I got to high school, I realized that I could work in sports, uh, specifically in broadcasting. And so As I developed my uh, high school studies and going into college and trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I chose the best two-year school, the cheapest basically two-year school in the state of New York that I could go to to learn about broadcasting. And so I went to a community college called Cayuga out in Auburn, New York near Syracuse. Went there for two years and was hands-on and had a radio show within the first couple days talking about sports. I was the sports director. Uh, while I was there, I was broadcasting basketball and high school football games and had a blast uh, learning basically at, at such a young age, 18, 19 years old, how broadcasting works. Uh, we were terrible, by the way. We were awful back in those early days, but it was so much fun to, to kind of get your feet wet and be thrown to the fire, if you will. And then I took a couple years off. Uh, and in 1995, I went back to college, and I went to uh, State University of New York at Newpaltz, SUNY Newpaltz, uh, which again another close school to where I grew up, about an hour away. And uh, looking for a place to hone my broadcasting skills and get a degree in communications and broadcasting, which was really my my set goal coming out of high school was to get my broadcasting degree to, or to get my college degree in broadcasting. Uh, So I did that. And uh, again, in college at New Paltz, I did the same thing, worked in the radio station, worked in TV, broadcasted games, had a sports talk show. And I just did as much as I could to learn about broadcasting. And then coming out of college, I worked locally in uh, Albany, New York. I got a job with WGY, which was the uh, largest uh, radio station in Albany, a news talk station, 50,000 watt AM station, uh, and I got to work for some pretty great people there. They gave me my first chance in the business. And uh, I, I worked my way through after a year to becoming the executive producer and morning show producer at WGY and uh, had a blast. Still the most fun in any job I've ever done. The most fun is it goes back to when I was 23, 24 years old working at WGY in Albany and I had a had a great time there. And then uh, in 2000, an opportunity came to go work for ESPN. And that's really when the trajectory of my life changed uh, course on so many different levels. Uh, But taking that job at ESPN in 2000 opened up more doors than I could ever, have imagined. And certainly was a dream. Uh, It's weird to even say a dream come true because I didn't dream I'd ever work at ESPN because I didn't dream that big. I didn't think I could ever get to a place like ESPN but I did. So, and I worked I, I, there for 17 years.
0: Let me, let me interject real quick. Yeah. Uh, Cause I, I saw, uh, I watched a bunch of your videos and, and you described that first time you walked into the ESPN building. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. It was like a kid in the candy store. I mean, but I'm the biggest kid, right. And, and it's the biggest candy store at ESPN. And I walked in there and I saw, Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann and Stuart Scott and Rich Eisen and Bob Lee, just legends of the business walking through the hallways, Linda Cohn, uh, you know, just unbelievable people who had been on my television for years and years. And now I'm suddenly a colleague of these people working at the same company. And it was pretty awesome. Here's a little story. I I haven't told too many people about that first day, which is quite interesting, um, I don't think I've ever shared this on too many podcasts because I'm not asked about that first day, but I was all set to go. And I I was still, my wife was still in Albany at the time. And so I'm staying at like a hotel type of place the night before my first day at ESPN. It was literally like getting ready for the first day of work or first day of school. I mean, when you're sure. a kid and I go and I open up my suitcase and I go to pick out my outfit, for that first day. And I'm going to go in and I'm going to wear, you know, the nicest suit or the nicest clothes I own, which weren't too many nice clothes at that time. And I realized I had left them back home in Albany. And this is like nine o'clock at night, the night before I'm supposed to go to my first day at ESPN the next day. And so I open up my suitcase and all I have is a pair of jeans, pair of sneakers and a golf shirt. And I'm like, Gosh, do I go to ESPN looking like this my first day, or do I go to Walmart? I don't even know what's open or what's what's near at that point. This is this is the year two thousand, so it was a little different. Can't just pick up my phone and start searching for things at that time. So I just I just went to work that first day wearing a pair of jeans, sneakers, and a golf shirt, and apologizing profusely to every person I came in contact with for what I was wearing because I had left my "Quote unquote nice clothes back home in New York, and so little did I know that I fit in pretty well because that was kind of the dress code for most people was a pair of jeans, a golf shirt, and some sneakers. Uh, but that first day, I'm trying to make an impression. I walk in wearing that, and I just felt like nothing. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what am I? What am I doing here? <laughs> so that that's a story I haven't told too many people, oh, and thankfully, uh, thankfully, I, I I was able to keep going day after day and spend 17 years there.
0: That reminds me of an interview I went to probably, um, you know, 30 years ago. And and I got to the interview, and I realized I had two different shoes on. <laughs> um, and I looked down, and I saw there were two different types of shoes. And so I tried to hide them under the desk, you know, that I was being interviewed. Yeah. How embarrassing. And then I walked with my legs sp- wide apart so nobody would notice they were different
1: uh, i actually Crazy. did that once at espn i mean in 17 years those few days you remember i actually went to work one day with two different pair of sneakers on and <laughs> i remember um sitting at my desk and telling my colleague carol who sat who sat behind me this was probably like seven or eight years ago i said i can't believe it she goes why i said i'm wearing two different pair of sneakers oh, and she goes she first, she starts laughing and then she's like, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm not getting up from this desk the entire day. And I said, when I'm ready to go to lunch, I said, can you go buy me some lunch? I'll give you the money. I said, when I'm ready to go pick up a a paper off the printer, I said, can you go do that? And she just started cracking up. But then she said, yes. And she took care of me that day. And I didn't have to be seen by too many people wearing two different pair of
0: sneakers. It was pretty funny. Let me ask you a question. Um, because a a lot of us, guys and girls that grew up in in sports you dream of being a professional athlete yeah when did you realize that you probably weren't going to be a professional athlete and then what was that that mindset of of switching saying okay with that or you know sports was your life and then being okay with okay i'm going to be i'd like to be a broadcaster instead What did, what was that, that mindset? Yeah, that hit
1: me probably in high school at some point. I would imagine it was probably ninth or 10th grade. You know, I I hit my growth spurt in 10th grade. I went to from five foot nine to six foot one, but I was a skinny kid. I was about 150 pounds. Um, I grew up in a town that, you know, everybody was kind of, you know, the sports, the sports teams were okay. Uh, there weren't too many elite athletes on any of our teams. There was a few that played and went on to, to play D1 sports, but not many. Um, and even if you were good, you didn't really have the, the coaching or the the support in, this, in, the, in a sense to hone that skill. Um, I didn't really become the best version of me as an athlete until, gosh, I was probably 24, 25. And by that time, That wasn't even remotely close to becoming a professional athlete. I probably could have played maybe community college basketball or a low D3 uh, if I got lucky. But it was pretty quick in high school. I realized by probably 10th grade that I'm okay, but I'm not going to be a professional on any level. And so you realize at that moment, okay, well, I still love sports. What can I do? And by probably 11th grade, as I'm, you know, starting to think about college and, what do I want to broadcast? What do I want to um, major in? In broadcasting was was one of those things that came right to the forefront, and I realized, oh, I could do I could do that. I could work in sports and broadcasting and media, and um, so yeah, it was probably around eleventh eleventh grade, maybe close to twelfth grade, that I realized that this whole professional sports thing isn't going to work for me to play. Uh, but it's interesting because even though I wasn't good enough to play, I certainly have been around more pro athletes in my life than I could have ever even remotely thought about, you know, spending time with when I was younger.
0: That's, that's really interesting. So was there a mourning process for you? Because I know, you know, some, some of us that uh, really mourned that and and we would uh, lie to ourselves. oh, we're good enough. Oh, maybe next year or it it sounds to me that, that you had a, a pretty good understanding of your own identity and your you know you didn't have to have somebody say hey you're really not that good <laughs> but you you know was it a, was it a time when you looked in the mirror and just was just totally honest with yourself or was there somebody that told you you're probably not going to make it well
1: i think nobody ever really told me that but i think in sports you kind of know on some levels based upon your playing time um how you're viewed Uh, you know, when you play, uh, your production, of course, I mean, I'm a sports, you know, I was a sports junkie as a kid. So I kept stats and I knew who was good and who wasn't. So I knew my own skill set, and I knew I wasn't, I wasn't anything great. I mean, I averaged like my best year in high school playing basketball. I averaged eight, eight and a half points. Um, and of course I kept stats for every game for myself because that's, how I was, I was a stat junkie, but you know, I knew where my talent was. It, it didn't take somebody to tell me that I wasn't good enough. I will say this: my senior year, I thought I should have played more. Uh, I was probably the sixth or seventh man uh, on the team. You know, first or second guy off the bench, and I played maybe in a total of you know whatever it is, thirty six minutes in high school. I probably paid maybe ten minutes, fifteen minutes a game. Uh, An average, maybe four points or something, something small amount. But then I went to college in community college and I started playing pickup ball with a lot of the guys there who were much better. And I got put on the team and played a semester of community college basketball. And so I got to kind of go back to my high school coach and rub it in his face a little bit, <laughs> saying, See, I, I was good enough to play community college basketball, but I wasn't good enough to even play on your team. Um, but I knew my limits, I knew what was going to happen. And I knew that, you know, it, I play as long as I could on whatever level that was, but like I told you, it probably wasn't until I was 24, 25 and I would just play in these pickup leagues or these, you know, little YMCA leagues where I started to realize that I could be, you know, a pretty good player in those type of leagues. You know, I was never the most talented. Uh, I was never the the best, um, passer, the best shooter, the best rebounder, but I was always pretty good at all of those. And that helped me Um, stay valuable, I guess, in those those small pickup leagues. But man, that's those leagues are so far removed from the professional level. It's not even funny. (laughs) So I knew pretty quickly that it wasn't going to it wasn't going to work out. And I was fine with that. You know, that's that's just kind of how it was.
0: That's that's awesome. That's really great that you had that self awareness, because I think a lot of kids don't. Well, a lot of parents don't either, Steve. I mean, there's a lot of parents who think their kids
1: are, are, um, you know, the future LeBron James. And and listen, I get it. If your kid is a really talented player, I'm kind of in that boat right now with my daughter. Uh, My daughter is in ninth grade and she plays volleyball and she plays softball and she's very good, but she's not great. And I know great because I've been around a lot of great and she's good. And I tell her, I said, in order to be great, you need to work really, really hard every single day. And you need to be willing to do whatever it takes, get the right coaches around you, get the right teaching around you, um, play against the best, work through playing with the best, and then you'll get better and that'll help you. Trust me. And she just doesn't want that. And that's okay. I'm not trying to force upon her and force anything on her. She just wants to play and enjoy herself. And that's fine. So I have to recognize, okay, well, maybe she's not going to get a college scholarship. And maybe she, you know, playing sports and maybe she's not going to be the best player on her team. She just wants to play and have fun and be a contributor. And I have to be okay with that. I can't try to fight that and say, no, this kid's going to be the best D1 catcher ever. And she's got the talent and blah, blah, Like I'm not that person. I can't, I can't be that person. Now, if she wants to work at it and she wanted to have that as a goal, man, I got all the support in the world for her. I'm right there for her but that's not right. realistic right now. And so I'm kind of yeah. living that through my, my daughter's sports world right now too. And she's, like I said, she's a good player, uh, but she's, she's not great. And and I think she recognizes that she's not great and she doesn't want to be great. And that's okay. She'll just be good. And I support her a hundred percent for that.
0: I'll tell you what, there, there is an epidemic and it hasn't just started lately, but it's uh, I'm sure through, through the history of, of, parenting and sports that uh, us parents try and live through their kids. And it's, it's, it's awful. Um, There's Tommy, Dr. Tommy John has been speaking about this lately. He just wrote a book about that and he's got a website, don't cut my kid. And it's really, it's a really great book about parenting and, and, uh, and that kind of thing and and allowing your kids to play and not try and live through your kids. So, um, so tell us about uh, ESPN and then your transition into Sports Spectrum.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So ESPN, I worked there for almost 17 years and it was it was an amazing, um, you know, run for myself and the opportunity to work at a place like that. Uh, I started out in ESPN radio. Uh, working on the network and on the radio side, and then moved over to the television side where I was a producer uh, and talent booker for nine years. And then the last four or five years I spent working in social media and digital media, you know, as ESPN was developing and introducing this new digital social world into its sort of regular content creation lexicon that that was taking place. And so I loved working there. I mean, I really did. I was, you go to work every day and you realize, look, you know, look what you're doing. Look where you're working. We get to play in the toy department every single day, uh, in the broadcasting world and working in sports. And, um, I mean, listen, did we take it seriously? Absolutely. Did we have some of the best people working in this business, you know, on a daily basis? Yes. I mean, I, I learned from legends in this business, but we also for the most part knew that what we were doing really was the escape for most people, um, you know, it wasn't the hard news. It wasn't any, any kind of political or social economic type of stuff. It wasn't, you know, covering really hard news or, or even tragedies that were taking place outside of the sports world. Now, some of those things would always creep their way into the sports world, but really what it came down to was, you know, is LeBron James overrated? Like that could be a question you could (laughs) ask every single day for 15 years. And there you go. Now you have Sports content to talk about, so I loved my time working there. Uh, it was great, and uh, I'd have zero regrets. And I'm excited because the next book I'm writing is coming out next spring. Is going to have a lot of the lessons and, and leadership lessons and anecdotes and stories that I had during my time at ESPN and things that I learned from all the great people that I was able to work with and be around. So uh, I'm excited for people to read that book and see really the great side of my experience working at ESPN. Uh, but then, eventually, as as many things in life, uh, God, you know, opens up doors and calls us away to different areas. And for me, the uh, the time to end my journey at ESPN came two years ago in 2017. And uh, it's something that I I wouldn't say I was planning or you know had set up and said, yeah, this is going to happen in five years. You're going to be leaving ESPN and going and doing Sports Spectrum. That's was never the case for me. For me, for me, it was about feeling like the Lord had opened up a door and placed a calling on my life to do more for him. And uh, that's that's a very vague way of saying that I knew it was time to move into a different place of influence to uh, take any of the talents and experiences that I had working at ESPN and bringing them for uh, a greater purpose and trying to proclaim God's name through however that might look. And uh, Sports Spectrum came calling and 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 an opportunity came to kind of help rebuild that brand and start up a podcast and get their website back up and running and, and placing content on the page every day. And it was really uh, something I was excited about. Uh, It was a leap of faith in many ways. Uh, Obviously the pun intended, but even no pun intended because it was a leap of, you know, a 40% pay cut, you know, working from home, not being around 5,000 people every day, no benefits, you know, none of that stuff that came, all the extra things that came with working at ESPN, they were all gone. But I still knew it was the right time and uh, took a leap in February of 2017 and been doing that ever since.
0: Tell me about uh, a story that I heard out of your mouth about um, Tony Dungy Hmm. coming to ESPN. And you made a comment um, about maybe being a Christian in a in a in a uh, corporation that probably not very many Christians were and you were kind of frustrated. Do you remember that story? Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, that's that's the changing point, uh, turning point in my whole entire career at ESPN. And in many ways, the trajectory of my life, uh, which is maybe a little strong to say, but I I really believe like this day changed everything for me. And uh, it was a day, uh, I think it was in August of 2010. So nine years ago, and Tony was promoting his book, The Mentor Leader. And if you know Tony Dungy, the Hall of Fame NFL coach, uh, and you know any of his books, his books are phenomenal. And they have really spoken and helped a lot of men in their journeys of faith and obviously intersecting with sports as well. And Coach Dungy was coming to ESPN to promote the book, and I was assigned as part of my job to... Take him around and, and, and scheduled his day at ESPN and all the different shows that we have Mike and Mike, Sports Center, First Take, Sports Nation, NFL Live, all of these shows that so many people had seen and heard. You know, Tony Dungy was going to be on each of those shows that day to talk about his book and to talk about other things involving the NFL and his life. And so I got to spend the day with this guy and I knew when he was coming that he was a Christian. And as a I guess, seven or eight year Christian at that point. Uh, For me, I was excited to just spend the day with him and and kind of talk about matters of faith with him more than anything related to the NFL. and just excited that he might be able to share the gospel somehow on any of these ESPN shows because not many people are able to do that. And it was between the first and the second interview that he was doing after Mike and Mike and before SportsCenter that I found myself in the green room with him and That's just really a a, a sort of a meeting room area on the side. And I found myself with him and his assistants, um, Jessica and his assistant, Nathan, Nathan's actually the co-writer of the book and another assistant named Todd. And they were all just kind of hanging out and Tony Dungy and I are there. So it was like five of us and they're all believers. So that made it a lot easier to just talk about matters of faith, um, without kind of feeling weird or opening up, you know, any kind of conversation that might not be appropriate. And Coach Dungy looks at me and he just, after he found out I was a Christian, he just felt led to ask me a question. And he said, how do you live your faith out here in the workplace, Jason at ESPN? How do you live your faith out as a believer? And I remember answering and telling him, "Uh, I just don't think I'm even able to do that, coach. I said, I'm supposed to Maybe I'm supposed to not even work here. I said, uh, I really am not a Christian here. I'm kind of a producer. And that's what I do. And, you know, as he was about to respond, before he could even respond, Jessica, his assistant steps in front of him and she looks at me and she just shakes her head like a stern mom looking at a disappointed uh, disappointment uh, at her son who had just, you know, failed a test at school or come home late when breaking curfew or something. And she just looked at me and she just <laughs> says, you don't get it. And she's shaking her head. And I said, get what, Jessica? And she goes, you don't get it. And I said, okay, what don't I get? She looks at me and she goes, look at the mission field that you have here at ESPN. Look at the opportunity that you have to be a light in a dark place. Look, and I'm not calling ESPN a dark place, but I'm just using this as a way of explaining what she was trying to say was, I can be a Christian wherever I am. I bring my faith with me wherever I go. And so ESPN, whether that's my work, yes, ESPN is a place where I'm hired to be a producer and to produce content. And that's the number one reason why I'm at ESPN. But as a believer, I take my faith with me wherever I go. And so I'm able to go into that place and be an influence on others for the gospel. And Jessica just looked at me and she says, until you are called away, and maybe God will call you away, She's like, you're to bloom where you're planted. You are to bloom where you are planted. And I will never forget that. In fact, it may become the title of our next book. We'll see. Uh, But bloom where you're planted is, is that motto that has stuck with me forever because of what Jessica said that day, because she's right. As a believer in Christ, wherever I go, wherever I'm working, I am to bring that light with me, to bring my faith with me. Doesn't mean I preach To every single person that I meet, it doesn't mean that I'm throwing a Bible in their face, but it means that I'm to love them and serve them and to be the light that I can be, be the best Jason that I can be wherever I go. And it just opened my eyes to remembering and, and realizing that, yeah, this is what God has called me to do. And Jessica, man, she just opened up. Uh, A can of worms that I still haven't been able to shut to this day. And it's a good can of worms because what she said changed my life. It just changed how I went about my work at ESPN. And it's changed how I go about living my life even to this day. Understanding that Christ is not something that I just do on Sunday in church or on a Bible study or even in the morning in my quiet time. He's with me everywhere I go at all times. And to remember that as I go about doing whatever I'm doing each and every day. And so it changed my life.
0: That's neat. Have you shared that with Jessica? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, she knows. It's funny. I first shared this story probably two years ago, and it was, of all places, it was at Saddleback Church in California, Rick Warren's church. I was invited to speak to the men there. About 750 men were at this one-night event, and I was invited to speak, and I was talking about living your faith out in the workplace, And I shared this story and I, they had taken the video and posted it. And I took the video and I shared it with Jessica and I just said two words, thank you. And I sent it to her and she watched it and she said, she emailed me back or texted me back. She said she had tears in her eyes and she, she understood too that, you know, we never know who we're going to impact. We never know how we're going to impact them. But if we're recognizing that seeds are always a possibility to be planted in every single walk of our life. God can do whatever he wants with it. And that was a seed that day that Jessica planted into my life that has grown and grown and bloomed in in a way that I could never
0: have imagined. That's that's awesome. What a great message. I mean, all of us, we don't have to be in full-time vocational ministry. In fact, very few of us are. So um, what do we do? We, like you said, bloom where we're planted. And that is loving and serving because that's the model for for jesus from jesus that's that's awesome he said he came to serve not to be
1: served and to give his life as a ransom for many and and so if jesus is saying he came to serve and we don't serve as christians then we're completely rejecting the teachings of
0: the one that we're supposedly
1: following so
0: right so uh we got about 10 minutes left i want to be sensitive to your time um I'd like you to, to to tell us about your book and how you came about it in that, if you can do it in, in 10 minutes. If not, we can do another podcast, but I'd, I'd love for you to tell us about Yeah, that. I'll
1: give it to you in, in two minutes. It's a book about forgiveness, and it's, a, it's not something I ever wanted to write. Uh, I'll tell you that much. I, my goal, I told you, was to be in broadcasting and work in sports. It was not to write a book. Uh, I do not enjoy writing. I don't like writing. It's not something that I'm passionate about. Uh, but I am passionate about storytelling. And a couple of years back, I stood up uh, at my church and shared a story about forgiveness to my congregation. And I shared the story of the broken relationship that I'd had for 40 years with my dad uh, and my father suffering and struggling through addiction and alcoholism and depression for many, many years. And uh, I shared the story of how I was able to come and forgive him. And what forgiveness was about and what that looked like through the lens of Jesus. And when I did that, I had many people come up to me after and tell me, thank you. Uh, You just shared my story. I'm struggling with forgiving someone who's hurt me. And you telling me that you struggled with forgiving your dad is going to help me in my walk. And I just was blown away by that. So a couple of years or a couple of weeks later, I was telling a friend of mine who's a pastor and that friend said, you know, you need to write a book on this. And I laughed at him because he had written a couple books. I said, no, you can write the book and you can use my name. I said, but I'm not writing it. And he said, no, you need to write it. It's your story. And if you know your story you can help some people, you need to tell it. And so that was really the the beginning and the essence of me writing this book called Live to Forgive. And the book released uh, in January of 2018 and is Seventy percent narrative, so it's my story and, and some of the very deep dark places that I had to go uh, in my relationship with my father, uh, and that's thirty percent application. And what that means is, you know, how can what I've been through help you? So I've I've laid out three or four different things that can help people in their walk with forgiving someone who's hurt them. And uh, I know it's not easy. I've had people tell me they've started to read my book and haven't been able to finish it because they're just too hurt and God is is really, um, you know, is working on them, but they're just not ready to forgive yet. Uh, I understand it's difficult. Every person that I've ever met probably struggles on some level with forgiving someone who's hurt them. Uh, But that's why I wrote it because I know that, uh, you know, in my story, I've seen in telling people that it can help them and that they're not alone. And uh, as people walk through their lives, it's important to know that they're not alone in the struggles that they walk through. And that's what the book's about.
0: Can you give us a, a few of those bullet points uh, just to whet the appetite of our listeners? Yeah.
1: So a couple of them, it's really written, the book is written into four parts. Um, it's, it's really like a, a four-part journey in coming to a place of forgiveness. And the four parts are feeling the pain, evaluating the trauma, transforming the wound, and forgiving the abuser. These are sort of the four main parts of the book that is set up that way so that people can begin to understand what forgiveness is about. But the real message, I think that the sort of wet in the appetite line that I'll tell people about forgiveness is that forgiveness is not about the other person. And that's the misnomer that so many of us have in our journeys is we think when we forgive someone that we're actually letting them off the hook. It's actually quite the opposite. When we're forgiving someone, we're not forgiving them for them. We're forgiving them for us because when we choose not to forgive and when we hold unforgiveness inside of us it is like keeping ourselves locked up in bondage it is like keeping ourselves chap- trapped in chains that we you know invisible chains thinking that we're actually withholding something that that other person deserves and yet we're the one that's drinking poison and expecting this other person to die i mean that's really what it is and so the the biggest thing i could tell you and your listeners is That when we forgive, remember, it's not about the other person. Forgiveness is for us. Forgiveness is freedom from our own bitterness that we have inside of us. And that's what happens when we don't forgive is bitterness and anger, wrath, clamor, all these words that's written in the Bible and Ephesians build up inside of us. And it's the secret sauce in a lot of ways uh, to forgiveness is understanding and recognizing that it's not about what the other person did it's about you and I being freed from the bitterness that we have over being hurt. The other thing I'll say really quick is that if we're Christians and if we're followers of Jesus Christ and we don't forgive then we're being hypocrites and we're actually not really truly walking in the calling that God has has for our lives because Jesus is sitting on a cross telling the people who put him up there I forgive you, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And so if Jesus is forgiving every single day, you and I, for all the dumb things that we've done and said and thought about, then what are we doing if we're not able to exude that forgiveness on others? And again, people have said to me all the time, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know how hurt I've been. I don't, but I get it. I understand it's hard, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And if the Bible says we're to forgive every single time that we've been hurt, and we're to forgive every single time that we've been hurt, uh, and again, remembering that it's not about the other person.
0: Yeah, and and you can share that experience of of you feeling the chains yes. of of not forgiving, leaving, and they just don't uh, trust him enough to 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 do that at this point. Anyway, yeah. I like what you said um, as well. Um, and, and, uh, when you said we're never closer to Jesus, um, uh, I'm going to ruin this, but, um, we can never, we're, we're never uh, more like Jesus than when we forgive someone. Can you unpack that?
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's really similar to what I just said. It's, if we're called, if we're called to be Christ-like, right. If, if, and that's what we are as, as Christians, we are Christ-like, we are not Christ by any means, but, you know, he made man who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we we take on that righteousness that God imputed to us when Jesus took that sin at the cross. So what I mean by that is, for those that are maybe not understanding or following me, we are to be Christ-like and how we live our lives. It doesn't mean we're not going to mess up because that would mean we would be Christ if we were perfect and we weren't making any mistakes, but we're not. There's only one perfect person, and that's Jesus. But we're to take on his traits, right? We're supposed to be ambassadors for him and kind of live in a way that represents him. So the number one thing that, in my opinion, Jesus does every single day to every person that follows him is forgives them. That's why I say we're never more like Jesus than when we forgive, because it's true. We aren't. When we forgive, we are literally doing the very thing that Jesus does for us every single day. And he need, and he he took that upon himself at the cross, and, and we need that every single day, was what I was trying to say, because we're broken, and we're messed up, and we're humans, human beings, and we're going to mess up every day. And so we... At least for me, I wake up and I'm asking God every day, please forgive me for being an idiot yesterday or thinking that or saying that to my daughter or talking that way to my wife. And he exudes that forgiveness back to me. So we have to be able to turn around then and show that grace, show that mercy and show that empathy towards other people when they hurt us. Because remember, that other person is a human just like I am. I'll tell you what was really a big big moment for me as we close, was my dad and me through the through the lens of Jesus. So my dad had lost his first wife, lost his second wife, lost all his jobs, had DUIs, was in jail, broken, messed up, just a a shell of his former self. This is 2012, 2013. And me, I'm at working at ESPN. I got my wife, my daughter. We've been married for many years. My daughter's doing great, got a nice house, cars. Uh, You know, all the things, you know, wonderful job, great friends, a great church. So on the outside, I look at those two people from a human perspective and I see my dad on a very small level and I see myself on this high pedestal. And then I see, I, I look through the lens of Jesus and I see my dad and me on the same level because that's how Jesus views all of us as his children, equal, no matter what we've accomplished or done, it doesn't matter in the eyes of Christ. Were all his children, that changed me. And when I was able to view my dad through the lens of Christ, now I suddenly saw a man who was broken, who needed who needed forgiveness, who 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 needed uh, empathy. And even if he wasn't going to get better, I just saw him as Christ saw him, which was his child, and it helped me come to a place to forgive him.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing story. Amazing message. Um, as we wrap up, can you just tell us about um, about Sports yeah. Spectrum and, and real quick and what what's that about and, and what, what your calling is? Yeah, there. so
1: Sports Spectrum is where I left ESPN to go work for and they tell the stories of sports and faith and that's really what it's about. It's a media company, a media ministry, as I like to call it. You know, we tell stories with our magazine that's out quarterly. We tell stories with our podcast that's out pretty much daily. Uh, If you check every day during the weekday, there's a brand new episode of Sports Spectrum's podcast on there that I host and produce. And then we also have our website. So there's articles all day long on the intersection of sports and faith and a daily devotional every day. And this is kind of how we're branded as the sports and faith media company. And there's really nobody else out there that's doing what we're doing. Uh, So that allows us to try a lot of things. And uh, thankfully, with our connections into the sports world and to athletes, we've had a lot of athletes who believe in our mission and what we're doing. And so having them become ambassadors for Sports Spectrum has helped raise our profile. And, you know, we're not trying to get big just to make a lot of money and to get big to say we're big. We're trying to get as big as we can so that more people will hear the stories of sports and of Jesus. And that's really it. And eventually we want people to come to know Jesus as their savior. And that's really the ultimate goal on anybody who's a believer. And that's what we use sports spectrum. We use sports to be able to tell people about Jesus. And that's really what we're doing.
0: That's a, that's a great work. And, and if you go to his website, um, you see all of the athletes that he's done podcasts with and, and, the magazine highlighted people uh, I get the magazine I'm a supporter of of the ministry and it's it's amazing just to be able that's why I say you have my job to be interacting with these guys these idols yeah. of ours um, and how they navigated their sport and their faith and it's it's wonderful to hear that the the great stories of them and 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 you do an a, a amazing job bringing that out and making it real and so i appreciate your time jason love to have you when when your new book yeah. comes out and we can talk about that and um so tell tell people how they can get a hold of you through social media or Uh, uh, yeah absolutely
1: so you can find me on Twitter Instagram and Facebook if you just search my name Jason Romano I will say there's another Jason Romano out there that played professional baseball and played in the major leagues with the the Texas Rangers that is not me Uh, there are people who are convinced that is me uh, because of my work in sports Uh, I wish it was me Uh, but it it is not Uh, so I never made it to the major leagues but my website is just my name jasonromano.com and, uh, you know check out sports as well the website for our sports spectrum podcast and all the content that we're doing there and yeah it's been uh it's been awesome being on your show and it's, it, that's a real easy way to get in touch with me too you if you tweet at me I will see the tweet I I'm on there quite a bit and I'll respond and uh easily stay in touch with whoever wants to to reach me and, and for whatever reason I'm, I'm happy to hear from you
0: well, God bless you, and God bless the ministry, and look forward to talking to you. Absolutely, again, Steve.
1: Thanks so much, and again, uh, just personally, thanks for supporting Sports Spectrum. It means a lot. Uh, it helps keep us in job in a job, which is 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 great too. But it really is uh, important for people to understand that when we're when we're hearing about somebody who's supporting Sports Spectrum, it means they're supporting the ministry. It means they're helping to bring the name of Jesus. To as many people as possible. So I appreciate you
0: and thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for listening to the Finishing Strong podcast. If you've been impacted by what you've heard on this episode, like, comment, and subscribe, and tell a friend. Follow our guests and check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Growing old doesn't have to suck. Join me as I'm finishing strong.